This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review the Dandy Warhols come down by the Dandy Warhols. It sounded like a psychopath was singing to me through my car speakers. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite albums ever, but I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to going in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, back for another round, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are dipping into a area of the 90s that we haven't explored before, I don't think. And that would be the semi-psychedelic realm that the band we're reviewing tonight, the Dandy Warhols, but also a band tied to them, the Brian Jonestown Massacre, are also known for. Um, is it safe to say that most of our bands have not been psych- psych- psychedelic in their uh, sound up until this point? Didn't we use that description for 360s? Or no? I think they had some remember jammy. That term. Yeah, I remember that term coming out. They had some jammy out. elements to some of their songs, but maybe some psychedelic elements. But these, I think these bands are... More so the Brian Jonestown Massacre, but more tied to that sound and the scene that they sort of curated. Uh, We are reviewing the Dandy Warhols' second album, The Dandy Warhols Come Down, from 1997. Were you familiar with the Dandies, Jay? Yep, I was. And have you seen the uh, the documentary Dig, which features uh, the the Dandies in the Brian Jonestown? Yeah, that's how, um, well, I wouldn't say that's how I'm familiar with them. I I was familiar with their music. I became more familiar with them after seeing that documentary. Did you, uh, like I, at the end of that documentary, think, wow, uh, Anton Newcomb is a really, he's a dick. Yeah, I was going to get into that in my review. I mean, in general, I don't think either of those two bands came off very well in that movie. Going into this, I I was definitely not... uh, I did. I definitely had a um, uh, prejudice, I guess you could say. Well, that's okay. You're allowed to be prejudiced. It's America. It's it's a part of being an American in your freedom of speech. It is. Yes. So why don't we get into? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the history of the Dandy Warhols. History of the band. Dandies formed in Portland, Oregon in 1994 by singer-guitarist Courtney Taylor-Taylor and guitarist Peter Holmstrom. Soon after, hired Eric Hedford on drums, but he was replaced in 1998 by Brent DeBoer, cousin of Courtney Taylor-Taylor. Zia McCabe joined the band on keyboards and bass. They played their first gig the same year that the band formed. And at that gig, the band was approached by the indie label Tim Kerr Records and asked if they would like to put out an album. And they did. It was called Dandy's Rule, okay? Okay. Okay. Wait. <laughs> Wait, what? That's okay. Okay. Uh, right after that album came out, Capitol Records signed the band. They recorded an album... And the label said, nope, not good enough. Start over. So they went back into the studio and recorded their second official album, the one we're reviewing, The Dandy Warhols Come Down, which was released in July of 1997. Now, the band 
actually held on to the label that they original or the, the record they originally recorded. That will come up later. Their third album, 13 Tales from Urban Bohemia, was released in August 2000. A lot of people probably will know that record thanks to the single Bohemian Like You. Their fourth album, Welcome, Welcome to the Monkey House, was released on in May of 2003. This is another instance in which the record label and, in this case, also the band were not happy with the original mix. So they scrapped the original mix of the record and brought in Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran to do a new mix. And that's the release that came out. In 2004, their original two, uh, second album, n- newly titled The Black Album, was actually released along with B-sides as Come On, Feel the Dandy, Warh- Dandy Warhols, and nod to the Lemonheads, Come On, Feel the Lemonheads, uh, was released on their own Beat the World Records. Their fifth album, Auditorium or the Warlords of Mars, was released in September of 2005. Their sixth album, Earth to the Dandy Warhols, released in May of 2008. In 2009, they released The Dandy Warhols Are Sound, which was the original mix of the Welcome to the Monkey House album, and that was released again on their own label, Beat the World. In 2010, the Capital Years, 1995 to 2007 compilation was released and uh april 24th is the day that this podcast comes out they are releasing their new album this machine Mm -hmm. on the end records which is why we are tackling this record they have a new album out so we said let's go back and listen to one of their old records oh a novel idea yeah kind of it's a nice synergy going on there it's almost like we got our act together it is I did mention in the beginning they were they were a part of the Dig documentary, which was released in 2004. It won the Grand Jury Prize for documentaries at the Sundance Film Festival in 2004. Uh, I I think it's definitely even if you're not a fan of either of the bands, I think it's a really fascinating uh, documentary to check out. Uh, and that is the history of the Dandy Warhols, brought to you by, of course us but if you're interested in sponsoring dig me out or the history of the band or some other aspect of this podcast visit digmeoutpodcast.com and if you don't want to actually sponsor you can buy a t-shirt can you buy a t-shirt still jay or did you take those down they're still up okay they may come down at any point and be exchanged for something else so if you want one get it limited edition (laughs) t-shirts Maybe at some point we'll we'll be able to like hand silk scream or something, but yeah. Or you can make a donation and keep this podcast rolling. So that is our history of the Dandy Warhols. Now on to our one of our newer segments on the show. What we like to call it Facebook feedback. I need a jingle here that's like Facebook feedback. <laughs> something like that. We did get some feedback on this uh, on this particular record. A couple people chimed in on the Facebook page, which every Friday, if you don't know, we do Preview Friday. We let you know what's coming up on the recording schedule, and you can chime in ahead of time and get your comments on the show. Uh, Dimitri Dummytree, yes, that's his name, he responded, this is a great record, although I like the previous one, the white one, which is also known as the Dandies Rule, okay, a lot more. But Come Down combines the atmospheric side of the band with the real pop single, something the first one kind of lacks. 
He also wrote, I like the play-along quality of the Dandy Warhols too. Most of their songs are, on, are based on basic chords played over and over. I really can't play the guitar, but always play along to my Dandy Warhol albums. Our old friend John Scher uh, chimed in with uh, encouragement from UJ, I believe. He said, well, the single and the video both struck me as flaccid 90s music industry fodder with all the requisite hooks, etc., in place for the hit, but no real character or personality. I certainly know other albums that bore gems when this single was lame, so I should give the remainder a chance. Smacked of gimmick to me. So we have two completely different opinions on this record, Jay. Good. Which is which is nice. It's Good. nice to not That's get That's why I wanted senses. John to pipe up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so where do you stand? Are you on are you in team Dimitri or team John <laughs> when it comes to the Dandy Warhols and the album The Dandy Warhols Come Down? Well, what's interesting is but I think both points of view uh, make make sense in in their di- in different ways. Uh like I said going into this album um I was familiar with a lot of the material. I hadn't really spent any time with any of their albums, I don't think, but I'd seen the movie when it came out. Coming away from that, did not have a good uh, opinion of the band. Uh, mostly, they sort of just come off as I don't know a bunch of a bunch of people who get together and kind of like decide they're a band because they you know trips around the country, getting high together and playing booking gigs, and you don't really get the sense that they're like musicians or you know they just seem more of like. Um, it's like a lifestyle thing and there's just a lot of drama for no reason and you know all kinds of drugs and just just a bunch of nonsense that doesn't have anything to do with anything you know anything in terms of um actually making good music mm-hmm. um so you know coming out of that m- my opinion of, of the band is is musicians and as a legitimate band we're not uh was not a good um but i have to say going into this now and spending some time with it i i kind of like it uh and I'm, I'm really shocked that i do i think uh you know listening to the uh sunday's review that we did you sort of talked about how the album was one of those that it kind of just washes over you and you sort of absorb it and there's you know it hits your subconscious almost and you can kind of listen to it while you're doing something else and you know just sort of a different I guess a different experience as opposed to something that's maybe like grabs your attention and, and it's really like you're engaged in it and you know you it's difficult to even focus on anything else because it's you know so in your face or so upfront. This is a little more about rhythm and layering and texture, but there's enough character in this I think to keep my interest over something like the Sundays. So there's there's enough variety and instrumentation and even variety in terms of how the vocal sounds and the vocal approach on this it it keeps me interested through the whole record i think there's some really strong songwriting in here or at least bits of really strong songwriting um, at least from a pop sense sense and i also think there's and, and this is something that i came to the band um assuming there wouldn't be and I sort of re- realized that there's actually some, there's some pretty good musicianship in here. It kind of gets, it gets hidden with um, some of the repetition 
and the self-indulgent, you know, intros and noise songs and stuff. But there are some parts and some some layering techniques and some chords and things that and some counter melodies and specifically some vocal harmonies and melodies going on here that are pretty sophisticated. While I think my my take on Brian's Jonestown Massacre is that maybe I need to go back and listen to them. But even even watching that documentary, I got the sense that this band, as opposed to Brian's Jonestown, the singer was maybe just a little bit more talented or, or a lot more talented musically or a little bit better educated musically. And you can kind of hear that in, in the music. I, I was pretty surprised. Uh, you know, going through this, I liked more than half of the record, I think. And while there's times where I think... Um, you know, it does get slow or there's a part that's it doesn't really work. I, th- I think a lot of it really does. And uh, it, it, it's it's a pretty interesting record. What would you think? I think I'm on the other end. I don't hate the record, but the slow songs kill it for me because they're yeah, so repetitive. And the last two songs on the record could be cut immediately. They're, they're I think they're like combined 15 minutes of just nothing going on at the end of the record. Just repetitive, you, slow. You could cut the last last four, and I'd be fine. <laughs> I, I kind of like "Cool as Kim Deal." It's a little, it's kind of a garage poppy song, and the yeah. organ uh, does some cool stuff. And it's I wrote not down, as it like uh, Red Cross slowed down. Yeah, it's it's not as cool as it could be. This album starts great. I love the first two songs. I love the way BN builds. I think it's got a really cool guitar tone on the first couple of songs. Boys Better. There's some cool riffs that go on. Mm -hmm. Then you hit Minnesota, and I love Minnesota. Come on. I I just, I could not. You know what's cool about that? What? what? It sounds like Neil Young. No, no, it doesn't. Vocally? Vocally? Well, okay, Dude, the delivery they're aping listening. they're aping Neil Young. I, I can see that. But the lyrics are annoying. And I love that, that that's weird like lead guitar that's like all off kilter. It's like It's like a melody, but it's just kinda like not quite right. I, think that was really I, cool. I put that in the middle of the road care uh, middle of the road categorization. I basically split this into three categories on this album. Songs that I liked, which were five. Songs that I was like, eh, which was another four. And then the rest of it was just, I couldn't stand to listen to it anymore. I would just skip the track because I'd heard it once and I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Now, we need to address what John brought up, which is not if you were the last junkie on Earth, which is the single. I don't think that this is a manufactured band. 
it, it, which is what I think he was sort of inferring that this is a big label band. I mean, this is a band that was that came out of a, a particular scene in Portland, Oregon, which is to this day still parodied on Portlandia on IFC as being this like liberal, free-thinking mecca where a lot of hippie-ish characters, you know, run around and there's all sorts of uh, free love and whatnot from the 60s left over. But I think this is an interesting song because, you know, they they do have a, 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 some drug use, I guess you would say, in their documentary, Dig. Mm-hmm. And this is, there have been inferences that this song is about Anton Newcomb from Brian Jonestown. I think that Courtney Taylor Taylor has dismissed that and said, no, it's not. It's a little more general. And if anything, it's about like an ex-girlfriend or something like that. But I also kind of feel like it's a little bit of an anti-90s grunge song in the sense that they were they grew they grew up you know basically a, a state over from where that was going on you had heroin was prevalent in a lot of the bigger bands you know obviously Allison Chains you know Lane Staley succumbing to that Andrew Wood from Malfunction and 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 Mother Love Bone I mean that was something even big, semi-grunge bands like Stone Temple Pilots Scott Weiland had a pretty you know, public battle with drugs and heroin, stuff like that. I kind of feel like he's taking a shot at some of those larger rock stars from that period. Because this came out in 97, so this is a couple years past all that. Yeah, and it I th- doesn't I help. Think... Well, I was just going to say, it doesn't hurt that that song is, again, like another example of uh, it, it follows the pop hit formula pretty damn well. It starts Starting right with off the with the hook. Yep. The verses are very short. <laughs> The only thing that lets me down is that they have a big part in there for a solo, and the solo is basically weird. Oh, not weird, but just a basic organ part, and there's no yeah. guitar solo, so it's kind of like, just get rid of that or put a guitar solo in it, for God's sake. Other than that, I mean, you know, it was written to be a hit song. That's for sure. I kind of wish some of the others were, were structured a little bit more like that. The song that follows it, Every Day Should Be a Holiday, I, I did like. it. It's funny that they ended up working with Nick Rhodes because this sounds like a 90s Duran Duran song with a, like digital drums. and. Um, Dude, that sounds like ZZ Top. Or ZZ Top. It does sound it has a legs feel it, to it. It has the uh, the synth. Uh, sequencer in it that sounds exactly like ZZ Top and then even the lead guitar part sounds like it could be a, a ZZ Top guitar part but the thing that's funny is that the vocal sounds like 
there's like harmonies going on that's almost sound like the mamas and the papas or something like a very like california 60s california kind of vocal combined on top of music that for the most part sounds like 80s easy top <laughs> it's yeah. a cool song but <laughs> for that reason it's just like wow these are two completely different things but it kind of works Yeah, and unfortunately, unfortunately, in mentioning tracks one, two, six, seven, and eleven, that's all I really liked off of this album. Everything else, I pretty much dumped. I wish I liked more because I like I like them as a singles band. I think Bohemian Like You is an awesome single from the next record, and I think that Not a Few of the Last Junkie on Earth is a really great single. But they just don't they don't either don't care to write anything else. On an album, they're they're happy to re- make the rest of the album seven and eight minute long jams, not jams really, but just repetitive, droning, annoying songs or sort of middling attempts at garage pop. And I, I wish that they were a little bit more even in their songwriting skills, you know. And maybe that's why I can't even I don't even heard the Black album, the one that was really re- recorded before this and then later released. I, I don't even know what that would sound like compared to a, an album that doesn't only has one single because if the record label said that we don't hear anything on this record that has to be atrocious i mean there has to be well, has to be completely bereft maybe i'm getting numb to the uh to the album tracks or the bullshit tracks on some of these records but yeah you're right i mean it, there's 14 songs here there's, there's no reason it needs to be 14 songs you know it should be nine or ten like yeah. we've said repeatedly over and over again on most of the records we reviewed there you know there's a lot of indulgent stuff here there's a lot of experimental experimentation there's a lot of stuff that sounds like demos that may or may not have been developed but they certainly shouldn't have been on this record but that said i mean like a song like good morning you know it's got a long intro on it and mm-hmm. it kind of builds again which you know that's can be tough especially if you're sitting down to like review a record and you're like okay get to the song already like what's going on um, but once they get to it, it's a pretty interesting song. It's it, it's one of the it's probably the only slower song on the on the album that I like. He sings in this really deep like vocal, almost like the church or the psychedelic furs or something. I kind of heard some Lou really, Reed in there too. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, got, it's obvious that you know, there's Velvet Underground influences. So it's, it's a, got some pixie elements to the chorus, and you know it, it's a little bit unconventional but it's still melodic and, and, and interesting. You know, it's five minutes long. It doesn't need to be five minutes long. It could have been three minutes long. It would have been way better.
when it works on say maybe i overstated when i said i like half the album it's probably more like five songs i like when those songs work well at least rhythmically i love what they do in terms of um there's a ton of like extra percussion layered in that is all subtly playing off each other you know none of it's like dramatically different but it all just creates this really cool sort of undercurrent with the uh with the drum sound which is great too and then a lot of the guitar you know tones are excellent and then they I don't know. I think they find enough clever, like counter melodies, especially with the with the keyboard parts that are pretty pretty well done. And then vocally, like I said, I hear a lot of classic rock references. Now, you know, to your point, when I brought up, okay, they sound like Neil Young on one song. They sound like, you know, the Mamas and Papas on another song. They sound like Psychedelic Furs on another song. You know, there's a little bit of like mimicking other people going on here. Probably, mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of dug it. I don't know. It just felt like. It also just feels like California to me. You know what I mean? Like it just has that feeling to it. Um, maybe it's because of the bands that they're referencing and and stuff. And I don't know. There's just something about the music. It just it remind it. I sort of get that picture in my head. So it does like sort of connect on a on a, a level. So it doesn't seem like just totally lifeless and generic. Like I get the sense of who the band is. I, I guess get the- a West Coast kind of kind of vibe from it. I guess the thing I was sort of missing, and you know, I. I- a lot of times I'll go, well, I don't like the slow songs. And I think it's because when we get to the slow songs a lot of times on albums, it seems like they f- they get into a rut. Like, there's nothing breaks out of slow. It just stays slow. Yeah. But slow also then ends up being quiet. And I'll, I'll use this as an example. Elbow is a good band in playing sl- slow songs but n- making them interesting. You go back yeah. to all the way back to their first album. They'll play in really slow rhythms, but they'll find really interesting ways to shift the mood of the song mm-hmm. and build the song. And and I think that's what I miss sometimes in bands that feel like if they're going to play a slow song, it's just going to be repetitive for eight minutes and nothing's going to change. It's like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even mind things that don't change. You know, I, I like craft work. Okay. I can listen to Autobahn and hear bloops and bleeps for seven minutes straight but there's some sort of tension and and push and pull and some shifts in the dynamic of the song just like that song i love you i was driving in the car and uh katie was like i'm gonna murder this song (laughs) like he just keeps saying i love you over and over again in this droning voice i was like oh my god please stop i hit the fast forward button on that because it was just i was it was just it just drove me insane it sounded like a crazy person actually it sounded like a psychopath was singing to me through my car speakers. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a good song. I mean, it's unfortunate because I think it's it sits between some other good songs, and you sort of have to get through that one. One thing I did notice on that uh, song, so that's like track five, and by the time you get to that song, you start to realize, you start to notice some of the rhythm stuff that they're doing, the layering and percussion and tambourines and shakers and extra guitar stuff and you know there's just this big wall there's almost like a wall of sound kind of just going on with rhythm one of the things i notice is that they almost uh, they, they explore just about everything in the studio to play a 16th note on yeah <laughs> so, like it's it starts off with a shaker and tambourine then by this song that he's actually doing with his vo- his uh breathing you know it starts off he's like <sighs> 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 and that creates like the underbelly of the the rhythm 
And then later on, they use like, oh shit, what else do they use? They pretty much make it through like every possible thing you could play a sixth neat note on. They bust it out in the studio and, and give it a try <laughs> to create that, you know, that accompaniment for the drums to kind of fill out the sound. It's, it's kind of funny. I think that was something that we brought up actually during the, the Failure podcast because there were so many songs that tended to slow down. They did a really good job of, you know, using 16th notes to keep a little bit of propulsion going, even in the slower stuff. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't have much more to say about this record. It just didn't... I listened to it over and over and over again, trying to find things that I liked about the songs that didn't connect mm-hmm. with me, and I would just be like, I just really hate this song. I think a lot of it just has to do with his his vocals. I like it on the poppy, poppy more up-tempo songs, but when he sings slow, he slows down. He almost sounds like a different person from song to song. And on the slow oh, songs, absolutely. he's always well, channeling Richard Butler and Lou Reed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, uh, like I said, uh, you know, I have several singers down that he sounds sounds like, and they're all fairly different. And it, it's almost as if, you know, there's a different singer uh, throughout the album. Um, sometimes he combines those voices together and actually does some harmonies and stuff that are, 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 I guess he's doing. I don't know if some other people in the band sing or what, how they're doing those, but they're actually pretty good. I mean, for going into this, I didn't really expect them to be a band that could actually do harmonies. I, I didn't give them that much credit, but they actually, either he's doing them overdubbing them or somebody's doing them with them, and they're actually pretty decent at times. And, and for me, you know, make some of the songs way better than they could have been had they not been there. And I think sonically it just it connects with me it's almost like you know i just like the way it sounds or at least some of the songs so i can you know kind of have it on and it doesn't like bother me mm-hmm. and then there's points where it actually you know they do something that i like and catches my ear so it's enough to to be um i wouldn't say it's one of my favorite albums ever but i definitely enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i was going to going in so let's talk about rating this album our scale is Worthy Album, Better EP, Decent Single. I think you know where I stand. I'm at the Better EP stage. I like five songs. I think that's a good EP. Are you in the same boat? Uh, I got six that I uh, that I marked as liking. So Wrong. BN, Boys Better, Vanessa, <laughs> Fewer Junkie, and uh, Every Day Should Be a Holiday, and Good Morning. Could you mix in three more of those other songs and call it a worthy album? Here's what I would do. I would take stuff. I, I would take the you know tracks the same ones that you mentioned. Uh-huh. And I would take one of the long songs and I'd split it into three. Like I would take the creep out and cut it into three sections, yeah. like the creep out part one, the creep gotcha. out part two, and the creep out part three. Yep. And there you go, you got an album. And it's short. And you put the best stuff on, out there, and then you release the rest of the stuff as your B-sides. Boom, I just uh, remade yeah. the Dandy Warhol's career. <laughs> yeah, if that was the album, I would probably call it a worthy album. I'm, I'm sort of in the middle here. I, 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 stay, staying with the, the, uh, the spirit of the rating system, I will go along with you and say it's an EP. Okay. As far as bands around... Could- I, I was just gonna say I think we pointed out if you're gonna listen to this record, which which songs to focus your time on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we rarely do we completely 100% agree on which songs suck and which songs are good, but I think we're both on the same page with this. 
As far as bands yep. around today, was there anybody? I had a couple ideas. I mean, the obvious ones are obviously Brian's Jonestown Massacre are still around, so that's a, that's an easy one to mention. Um, there are some older bands that I think, oh, if you like that band, you're gonna like this, like Jesus and Mary Chain, Joy Division, maybe. It, it, not so much poppier stuff, but you know, Spiritualized has a new album out. They're a band that I think is a perfect complement for the Dandy Warhols. They're a little, they're even a little bit less poppy than the Dandy Warhols, but they have that trippy, psychedelic side to them. There's a band called the Black Angels. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Jay. Yeah. Uh, they're a, uh, I believe they're from Texas, and they have a, a 70s psychedelic, hard rock, uh, expansive. Yeah, they can get sounds. pretty heavy. Yeah, heavy, right. Yeah, they're they're a little bit more heavy than than this band is. Primal Scream on some of their records has a sound like this. I'm thinking of uh, what's the what's the blues rock one that you're a fan of from the 90s. Oh shit! Uh, is it like something about get up and go or something? no? I don't remember. It has the uh, uh, has give the, out, um, give out, but don't give up. Yeah, it has the Confederate flag called. on the cover. Yeah, and then I think they did a later one called like Riot City Blues, which was also another one of the. They, that was a band we need to get into because <laughs> every record was completely different, which sort of makes them amazing. That they were able to jump around from genre to genre. Other than that, I can't think of like Black Angels was a good one, sort of. And uh, I know that there are some, you know, uh, psychedelic hard rock bands, but they all tend to be in the much jammier and, and louder side than this band is. Not, they don't they don't purge or they don't um, pilfer the the Velvet Underground catalog as much as uh, the Dandy Warhols do in terms of their quietness. Yeah, I agree with all those. I, I don't have a ton that or any great ones to add. I mean, there is an element of, it's sort of like uh, the way they approach music is the way that I think some electronic artists approach music. It's just that they don't play electronic instruments. They, play, you know, play regular mm-hmm. instruments. Um, but there's still like that uh, consistent, you know, rhythm, rhythmic approach. There's that building and then just um, taking apart uh, you know, adding and subtracting to create the different parts of the song, as opposed to always using chord changes to do that. Um, they actually are kind of, you know, I, I, they do a pretty good job of that. You know, I think um, the single they bring in like the keyboard part on the second verse, and or they'll to add a little bit of drama. They'll like pull things out and then bring them back again. And so, I don't know if you're into, you know, maybe like M83 or stuff like that. That's kind of it's electronic but it's got organic elements to it you know maybe something like this would be uh something you'd like to put on your headphones when you're working or something you know that's actually not a bad comparison because welcome to the monkey house from what i recall it's been a couple years since i listened to it is much more keyboard heavy and pop oriented thanks to nick rhodes so m83 is not a bad reference point Mm. but i don't know for this record in particular but for the band overall they went more in that direction Right, right. So, right. All right. I think that covers the Dandy Warhols and their album, The Dandy Warhols Come Down. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And of course, 
As we mentioned earlier, feel free to stop by digmeoutpodcast.com for all of your Dig Me Out podcast needs, including t-shirts and uh, ways to give us money. And that's it, folks. We're going to be coming up uh, soon. We're going to have some more interviews. We got some fun ones coming up with people I will not mention in case they fall through at the last minute, but we have some exciting folks lined up. Jay, are you excited for our future interviews? I can barely sleep, Tim. I know, I know. <laughs> your heart, your heart's racing with anticipation. I spend every moment prepping. Stay tuned to the uh, Facebook page. We'll once we have um, stuff in the can, we'll let you know. And of course, visit every Friday for Preview Friday. Give us your comments on records we'll be reviewing, and we will add them to the show, like we did today. Uh, that's it, Jay. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening.